The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week, and it is a pleasure to be joined by my co-host this week, JC. How's it going, JC? Hey, how's it going tonight, Ryan? It is going very well. Happy to be joined by you, folks. JC, incredible musician, dear friend of mine, pop culture yes. omniscient, dare I say, just... So many. Uh, I know all the things. Yes, so many reasons why your presence here is warranted. Not the least of which is that incredible background you have behind there. That right, truly. If you are not watching the stream, you are missing out. So sorry for you audio only listeners. Uh, But yes, I am reporting to you live from the anime lake. So uh, you're missing out. It's so calming. I, I get two vibes from it. One is definitely. Uh, you know, late stage Miyazaki, you know, kind of just super calming, but like a little more modern in the animation kind of vibes. But I also get close. Uh, I, I know that they're very litigious, so <laughs> close. Okay, an homage, <laughs> an homage. Go on. <laughs> and the other vibe I get, and, and like this is so obscure, but it's absolutely nailing it is MS DOS Lucas film game. But, like, when they remade them in the 2000s with, like, updated computer graphics, that's, okay, that's yes. what I'm looking at. I mean, super obscure, okay. but, like, you know, for the, for the you know, very, cup, very few, like, nerds out there who are obsessed with these games, they're all like, yes, absolutely. They're all nodding their heads right now. I am on that PS2 level, and I am loving it. Thank you. Yes, yes. Also, <laughs> I can't concentrate because I'm just drawn to the fireflies behind you. I mean, you could be making excellent points and they're just, you know, zooming right over the head. This this is what I do. Distract, put up the mirrors, all the smoke, just so that all the nonsense <laughs> that comes out of my mouth, you're just amazed every time. So thank you well, I for can't, uh, pointing all of that out. I can't help uh, but be. And speaking of folks on this program who have excellent backgrounds, joining us after the break is a terrific uh, indie uh, musician, l- long time in the games, put out, I think, like 12 independently released albums. Awesome dude. John Tagliari's coming by. And when we bring him in, I think his background, which is not a green screen, but it's an actual background, might rival yours. I, I can see it here in the green room because StreamYard, what we use to broadcast this, allows me to see sort of the people mm-hmm. who aren't in the room yet. And we're already looking at John in the green room. And you're seeing it too, right, JC? Can you see the background from right, here? Right, right. Yeah, it's just it's 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 yeah. gorgeous. Well, I, I do need to say I'm a little offended because you think my background isn't real <laughs> uh, and is a green screen. So we'll just let that one slide. Uh, carry on. I know. How insensitive of me! Like you spared no expense shooting your side on location, and I dare right. accuse you of, of having a green screen. Oh, so excited it's to be just with a you. little appreciation goes a long way, Ryan. <laughs> and that's all I that's all I ask every time I'm on the show. Yeah. Well, speaking of streaming, Jace, as hmm. Break the Business has gone into the streaming world, I have made a concerted effort on my part 
to just get more into the streaming community. I was a longtime podcaster, but I've fallen in love with streaming. I'm trying to get more into streaming. And so when I'm not doing Break the Business uh, on Twitch, I, I stream video games on Twitch just to kind of get into the community. And it's been really fun. And I love the, the people I get to meet, but boy, did I mess up my last video game stream. And it just crushed Uh-oh. me. I got to tell you what happened, okay? What went wrong? So I'm streaming MLB The Show 21. It just came out for Xbox. For you know, it, was a P, it was a PS exclusive for like 10 years. And so the fact that it's finally on Already Xbox Already over now, my head because you said MLB. Yeah. Over my head. So you see, uh, you, you hold this spherical baseball, right? And you try to throw it at somebody and you have to not let them hit it. And Bais ball? <laughs> Bais All right. ball? Okay. So... Thankfully, the rules of the game, not not germane to this. But the point is, really popular game, so a lot of people are streaming it. And so I stream myself playing for two hours. And it's a popular enough game that even though I don't stream it much, you get people that show up. And normally when I stream MLB oh, yeah. The Show, even though I have like no reputation as a streamer, I'm getting somewhere between 10 or 20 people stopping by concurrently. It's, it's, it's neat. But as I was streaming a couple days ago, I noticed that I... You know, I was streaming. I was really getting into it. I was trying to be fun and animated, but I couldn't ever get more than one viewer. It was one viewer, and then it would pop down to zero. One viewer popped down to zero, and I was like, "What's wrong?" And and I'm checking the stream, and like it's streaming. Like they they can see me and the thing, and and I was like, "How am I not holding any any uh, people?" Like I, you know, the game's fun. I'm trying to be animated and interesting, but like I'm losing them, and it just crushed me. I streamed for two hours. I never got more than one viewer at any given time. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong, and I was just dejected. And then I go back and watch the video. My mic was off for the entire time. Aha! So yes, you were video, going for that silent film, yes, right? And MLB. so like, the video game audio is coming in clear as a bell, but you just see me going <laughs> the whole time. And right. So naturally I'm getting, you know, I would only get one video viewer going down to zero because they pop in, they see a crazy person gesticulating wildly, not making any noise and going, yeah, nuts to this and then leaving. <laughs> but you know, couldn't which is these... weird because I would. I would stick around for that show. I mean, I thought it was entertaining on its own, but you would think that one of the people that popped in and popped out could have had the decency to be like, dude, turn your mic on. <laughs> dude, oh, absolutely. Solid, not. but nope. Not not what we can get from the Twitch community. Anyway. You're, you're going on a Twitch fails, for sure. <laughs> well, before we bring in John after the break, I want to move from one TW platform, Twitch, to talk about another TW platform, Twitter. By the way, so annoying that they both start with TW because I use both platforms. And so when you try to enter them into your internet bar, your, you know, your website oh, yes. bar, the, like the bane of the autocorrect. Oh, God, it's frustrating. And <laughs> it's always it always pulls up the TW that I don't want. It's like it knows. Anyway, that's, how, that's how they get you. So I'm excited to talk about Twitter because I think Twitter's made an announcement recently that I think is pretty exciting for indie creators. So on Monday... Twitter announced that it would be expanding its rollout of its new social audio platform, Spaces. So now, as of May 3rd, all Twitter accounts with more than 600 followers, I think I just got above that. <laughs> Woo. But uh, Very nice. Yeah, just it was, it was a close call. All Twitter accounts with more than 600 followers are now going to be able to host live audio conversations with other speakers on Twitter. And if you're thinking to yourself, boy, that sure sounds a lot like Clubhouse... Well, that's because it kind of is. This is Twitter doing their version of Clubhouse. They, they want to 
you know, people are getting really into these live audio sessions where, you know, you mm -hmm. just kind of, you, you want to hear a group of people talking about a topic live and you'll just leave it running while you go do the dishes. And unlike a, uh, a spot, a uh, podcast where it's pre-recorded, this is happening in real time. You can interact with the speakers and, and people are really getting into these platforms like Clubhouse. And so Twitter is getting in on the action. But unlike Clubhouse, Twitter is rolling out some pretty unique features that for certain content creators could be pretty exciting, including a uh, new feature that's going to be rolled out soon that will allow the hosts on Twitter space to sell tickets to their audio chats through the Twitter platform. So a monetization feature that's, uh, that is directly through the Twitter platform, so it's frictionless. You don't have to go through some kind of separate ticketing thing. It's all going to be done on Twitter. And I think that's a that's a pretty interesting development. It's certainly it's certainly them saying we're going to try to be Clubhouse Plus and we're going to host our version of Clubhouse on the native platform Twitter that you all are theoretically already using. Yeah, I mean it's Clubhouse with a slight twist. Uh, it reminds me of the conversation you had last week where there was Spotify versus Apple. You know, some tech company makes a, a new thing. And another tech company says, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Let me make something very similar. So that's sort of where we are with Clubhouse and Twitter spaces. Um, I mean, I've seen the beta of this. I was very weirded out by the app saying, here's a new thing for you to click on and have no idea yeah. what it's about. No explanation. Uh, so, yeah, no explanation. But uh, I don't know. Have you tried it out yet? I have not had the courage. Um Mainly because, well, because well, for 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 this for really for this reason, like if I were to start a uh, a chat on Clubhouse, I okay. you know be, you know because of the open ended nature of the platform, if I got a couple of my you know entertainment lawyer people and we said, hey, we're hosting something on Clubhouse, we're going to talk about entertainment law to empower any creators. Because it's an open platform, like you're going to get somebody that wanders in and wants to listen to you, but Twitter Spaces. You're limited to just your existing followers. So for people like me that just got above that 600 follower requirement, I'm not optimistic that if I told my handful of followers, hey, I'm going to give a live audio chat, that they're just going to come in droves and want to hear from me. <laughs> now, look, if I'm if I got, uh, you know, uh, Chrissy Teigen numbers and I say I'm going to host an audio chat. Yeah, everyone's going to show up and they might even pay to hear from me. But, you know, for, I, for those I of us think if you had Chrissy Teigen numbers. You had Chrissy Teigen numbers, you could do anything. Oh, ain't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. and, and right. So I, I think that's where, you know, when we talked about Apple Podcasts premium subscriptions versus Spotify premium subscriptions last week, we talked about how each platform had their pros and cons. And I think Clubhouse versus Twitter Spaces, you have those pros and cons too. Twitter mm -hmm. Spaces, because it's not open-ended, it's going to be a lot less toxic than uh, Clubhouse is. Clubhouse got some problematic stuff going on because it's an open-ended platform. It's a free-for-all. Yeah. And Twitter's got that monetization feature built right in, or at least it's going to, which, you know, not nice to have native direct monetization right into Twitter. And so if you are, if you command a legion on Twitter, you might be able to do some things with Twitter spaces, no matter what kind of creator you are as an instrument of fan engagement. But Clubhouse has got some positives too. You're more discoverable on Clubhouse because it's open-ended. Yeah, it makes the platform a little toxic, but, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Like, it also allows you to uh, interact with a much larger, com larger community. It's much better for networking because you can, you know, find new communities more easily with Clubhouse. And, um, and by the way, not everybody uses Twitter. I know that's shocking. 
But if you want to try what? to get people outside of Twitter, <laughs> a, a open platform like Clubhouse might play to your strengths a little bit better. But it's going to be interesting to see how it gets used. I think for the folks listening to the program who are who have very active followings on Twitter are you know one of these like capital O capital T on Twitter people that have large followings where they get good engagement where every time they tweet you know you know they have high quality followers that are always interacting you tell those kind of people whether they're live streamers podcasters musicians actors whatever i'm going to host a audio chat on twitter spaces with some other famous popular people or whatever you'll get people that want to show up and maybe some of those people will be willing to pay. So if you put on sort of a regular audio chat feature, that might be a realistic either fan engagement or revenue stream for you. But for other people, uh, you know, it, it might just be nothing because especially because it's going to be in the same window as the Twitter fleets, you know, like, cause like now have, have you, have you, have you been, have you done, have you looked at a single fleet? Have you made a single fleet in your life? The fleet, you know, with the app, it's so in your face. Yes, I have made a fleet. Really? Because I, I see John yes, in the I green room being like, I've them. never made a damn fleet in my life. John, John well, Tagliari's got no time for your fleets. <laughs> there's already a problem with the name. Uh, they clearly didn't have anyone, anyone uh, in the LGBTQ community in the room when they named that in the first place. But that's a story for another <laughs> podcast. Uh I, I have seen many fleets. I see how people are starting to use them as sort of an alternative to tweeting. So it's almost I can see spaces as being that alternative to something else. You know, people go on Instagram live just to speak their mind for five minutes and there, as I know, there's no way to sort of monetize what you're doing on Instagram Live uh, in the front end where you can have tickets. So this could be something where if you are having a concert maybe in the future on Twitter, you can sell tickets to that concert and it just exists for that small amount of time, which has a whole other host of problems that could go along with it. Uh, but, you know, just people listening in could be something new that we haven't had a chance to, to go down this path yet. That's an interesting dimension to this that I hadn't considered, that I think of Twitter spaces as just a bunch of people getting together talking. I don't see what would prevent an indie artist from saying, I'm going to host an audio concert, audio-only concert on Absolutely. Twitter spaces where you can and, – and for a lot of people where, you know, you're just – you know, like like me, when I listen to podcasts, it's because I don't want to look at something because I'm doing something else. I'm cleaning a part of my house or I'm taking out the garbage or I'm driving. So I, I can't look at something. I might love to hear from one of my favorite indie artists doing an audio only concert that's live that I can interact with them, you know, while I'm out doing stuff. That's that's uh, and, and then, you know, I might, depending on if it's an artist I really love, I might even be willing to pay for the privilege. Yeah, which, I mean, there are other platforms that you can already sort of do this sort of thing. I mean, taking a tip jar Patreon and saying, hey, you can view my content on these other platforms that way. This is another way to sort of grease the wheels uh, of industry, I guess, and get people to pay for things, which is something that Twitter would love for people to do, yeah. quite honestly. No, I'm, I'm always a fan of you know, being able to bring news where there's like, a direct revenue stream, you know, because again, in a lot of cases, like a lot of artists are like, okay, that's nice. Another way to promote myself, another 
another way to add more people to my email list or get more Twitter followers or get more people to watch my Twitch stream. Like, how, can you can you bring me something that's going to potentially pay my rent, Ryan and JC? And so anything where there's a direct monetization option is, is intriguing. All right, let's move JC to the Grammys because anytime <laughs> I get a Grammy story, I, I can't help myself. And I, I don't know what it is about the Grammys, but... First, like, I mean, even I think more than the Oscars, which invites its own fair share of controversy, something about the Grammys just, they just always seem to find their way into the most controversial news. And, absolutely, you know, especially in the last few years. And so this is kind of a, a reactionary move by the Grammys where they're trying to head off, I think, some criticism. Even though they said that this has been in the works for a year, I don't believe it. But uh, the Grammys have announced that they're going to be getting rid of their controversial nomination review committees in nearly all of its Grammy categories. And uh, so just a, by way of explanation, since 1989, the nominees that are determined for all the major Grammy categories go through sort of a two-tiered selection structure. Um, the first tier, as okay. many of you imagine, where the nominees are determined by the Academy voters, you know, uh, at, you know not, uh uh, artists submit their material for consideration. The Academy reviews all the nominees, and then they choose the nominees. But then there's a second right. tier. Once it gets through that initial review, which is what most people probably thought the process was, there's then this, like, not very transparent kind of cabal of Academy voters <laughs> that make little tweaks to the list of nominations where if they think that the the list doesn't, you know, you know, maybe maybe the list didn't uh, include a lesser-known artist that really deserves to be recognized. They might bring them in if they feel like there's a a genre imbalance or a gender imbalance. They might try to correct this. And and a lot of this happened because you know in the late '80s there were a lot of situations where the three tenors and uh, Tony Bennett were getting Album of the Year nominations, and there were a bunch of alt-rock acts being like, what the hell? Like, we, we can't even sniff a nomination. And so they created these committees yeah. to, try, to try to create some balance. But the perception has been, particularly in the last few years, that this is having the opposite effects, where these review committees are keeping a lot of deserving nominees out, uh, culminating in this recent mm -hmm. uh, story where The Weeknd has said that he is no longer going to submit any of his material to the Grammys anymore after being snubbed from the Grammys completely in the most recent Grammy stink. Awards. Yeah, he was... Uh, yeah. And, you know, he, and by the way, he's not the, he's not the last... You know, he's certainly not the only artist to uh, accuse the Grammys of this kind of thing. And a lot of these accusations, often supported by data, tend to come from black artists, tend to come from female artists. And so there's a... There's a perception now that the problem that the nomination review committees was trying to solve are now causing these problems. And so now the Grammys are saying, all right, we're just junking it. This is we're you know, we, we, we realize that you know, we're creating bigger issues and we're just going to let the the Grammy voters uh, make the call the way it was before 1989. And, uh, you know, not that it satisfied the weekend. He's still never going to submit his music to the Grammys again. But. Um, so he says. It, it, so yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, if, you know, maybe he puts out like another banger, and he's like, "All right, yeah, I'll, I'll throw this one in there." But it's yeah. a. I mean, you know, there's a. I'm torn on it. I frankly, you know, I tend to be pro democracy. And I, I'm not a big fan of like non-transparent cabals, whether it's in you know our republic or in the you know the voting process. But 
I do, you know, and, and while I, I do think this is probably the right decision, I, I do appreciate that there's some good in- intentions here. And there is sort of a, a, a perception that there are a lot of lower tier artists in terms of sales that were able to get into a nomination in recent years and even win because of these nominating committees. Like, for example, a few years ago, this is probably like 10 years ago, got a few years ago, I'm getting old, when Esperanza yeah. Spalding, this unknown jazz artist won best new artist the perception was she would have never even gotten a nomination if not for these review committees or or somebody like jacob collier who uh you know break the business co-hosts evan and elisa are obsessed with um also this co-host is fully obsessed with the other jc (laughs) right well he's also an artist that has never i believe has never sniffed the billboard 200 so a lot of people perceive that he would not have uh received a nomination uh, and uh, our, our guest John Taglieri uh, mentions the the ever ever famous Grammy snub of Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull is a completely, <laughs> in a lot of ways, a different scenario. Like it, it's worth going over the Jethro Tull story because this is hilarious. Where oh yeah, God, what was, was this '86? I think where it was the first year that the Grammys had a best heavy metal album or best hard rock performance Grammy category, mm-hmm. and at this time Metallica was the bet the, the biggest uh you know hard rock act in the world and everybody assumed oh yeah this is metallica's category to win they're freaking metallica and then somehow jethro tall wins it and everybody's just like what the heck but i remember i think it was james hetfield who was actually in pretty good humor about it because then the next year when metallica did win the award he gets up uh, at the podium and he's just like well i'm just glad that jethro tall didn't put out an album this year yeah, I'd like to thank Jethro Tull for like it was the ultimate shade, but you know, like I, you know, I think either way you're going to get controversy because without these review committees, I think a lot of deserving artists might not get in, but with them, I think a lot of deserving artists are kept out. But I think either way, it's a win for the Grammys, right? Because they, you know, secretly they want this controversy. They want us yelling. Yeah, about I it. mean, I think there's a perception thing that's going on here you know if you have to go back through grammy history and who could vote who could nominate you know that was already a secret cabal that we didn't even realize there were so few hands that were in you know that sort of pot uh that could choose who could go on to then actually win a grammy let alone get nominated that the uh the the nomination committee was a mitigating factor for that right Mm -hmm. uh so now in this perception that we have now in 2021 where everyone has a hand in everything uh we're looking for more democratic ways of choosing things and we think that all of the voters should have the right to vote and nominate and just go about things where there are more people uh, that get a chance and a get a voice. Uh, so I'm not really sure where this goes because, like you said, we wouldn't have an Esperanza, Spal- Esperanza Spalding without, yeah, you know, this committee. And you know, she's great. So she's really good. I, I, <laughs> and I would have never heard of her if she didn't get nom- if she didn't win the Grammy that one year. Absolutely, absolutely. She's yeah, a- absolutely tremendous. And you know, it's interesting that you bring up sort of you know. The democratic process, because I think there was a, another move that the Grammys made. I think it was either this week or at least recently where they are talking about reducing the number of categories that Grammy voters can vote for. And what they're trying, you know, which seems undemocratic, but what they're trying to prevent against <laughs> is people 
voting in category, you know, academy members voting in categories that they know nothing about. And that's how you end up with uh, uh, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis winning best rap album against, God, who were they up against that year? It was like Jay-Z, uh, Jay Kanye West. I mean, it was just a murderer's row, and, and Macklemore came out and won. Lauren, do me a favor, if you could. I'm going to put Lauren on a project here. <laughs> Can you find who Macklemore and Ryan Lewis were up against when they won best rap album? I don't know what year this was. I want to say like 2013, 2014. Because the list is It's got to be like a hit parade. It, it was, like I mean, Kanye like, and Jay-Z. No, I'm, I'm telling you. Like, it was like all the, all the nominees were an absolute murderer's row, JC. And Macklemore and Ryan Lewis went away from it. And the rap community gets pissed. And you know that the only reason that happens is because a bunch of, you know, polka players in the recording academy are just like, oh, <laughs> I heard that thrift shop song. I'm going to totally uh, vote for this guy. Um, and, and so like, I think the Grammys are trying to stop that from happening by saying, okay, look, you're only getting the, you only get to vote for like 20 categories. And so if you don't know uh, uh, about rap, don't pick rap, <laughs> go vote for something else. It's a very similar problem that, you know, you brought up the Oscars earlier that the Oscars have with Oscars. So white, where mm -hmm. we have a lot of voters and nominees that come that, there's isn't a lot of diversity and then when you do vote on these things people vote for the things that like oh i've heard of this so it doesn't necessarily go to the thing that might be not even the best the most representative of the category that it's in because you know someone heard about it so who knows uh what's going on there okay i think we got our payoff here because uh, john just wrote me in the chat uh, who the nominees are and it's so much worse than i thought <laughs> here we go and the nominees are uh, i've tried I, what what year was this i'm gonna say like 2013 but i'm sure somebody will write it in the chat kendrick lamar jay-z kanye west eminem drake and j cole and the winner is macklemore and ryan lewis rapping about popping some tags you know, I really do think that uh, Macklemore would have won the Pulitzer if they had gone out for it before Kendrick. But, you know, it's really, yeah. we'll never know, yeah, I guess, Lamar's just, because they just I let Kendrick have against, it. Thank God I wasn't going up against Thrift Shop for, for my Pulitzer yeah. Prize. Wow. I didn't know Kendrick Lamar was in there, too. God. I mean, I didn't even mention him. Oh, man. Like, if I remember that year, okay, so that was 2014. Thank you, John. If I remember that year in 2014 when they gave out Best Rap Album, Macklemore was almost apologetic when he won the Grammy. Like, he was getting oh, up absolutely. there like, he was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, some of that is kind of performative, and it has to be because uh, of sort of the state hip-hop is always in. Uh, you're just like... Uh, but I mean, look at this list of <laughs> I mean, artists. Good God! <laughs> so I mean, you have to be at this point. I, it's not as performative as maybe like Adele trying to give Beyonce her things, but you know, in a way, it kind of is. If I was making a list, JC, not of the best rap album of 2014, <laughs> but the best rap artists of all time, if I gave you this list, like you couldn't quib like you know we might split hairs on a couple of these but you'd be like that's a perfectly fair list ryan i can't fault you on that right. and macklemore and ryan lewis beat them out. 
I right like place, right shot. time. I'll admit it. That's, that, that's right place, fun. right right time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for throwing me under the bus there. I, I come in like admitting that I like thrift shop, and then you know you you pop in with your white guy joke. That's great. Thank you. Much all right. Okay, that's what well, you invite me on for. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> Your daily dose of artist empowerment and white guilt here on Break the Business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got John Tagliere coming up after the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Break the Business podcast. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Our guest is a Boston-based singer-songwriter who has released 12 independent albums and has charted multiple times on Billboard. You can find out more about his work by visiting www.johntaglieri.com. That's www.johntaglieri.com. John Taglieri is joining us. Hey, John. Hey, guys. Oh, Hey, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? It is going great. John, thank you very much for the clutch assist on the Grammys <laughs> trivia there, getting us the 2014 uh, nominees for Best Rap Album so that we could just uh, laugh at how absolutely bat bleep insane that particular award was that year. My pleasure. Oh, and I got to do one little correct. I actually have 14 albums out. 14 albums out. Wow. Yep. That's, gosh, that's uh, that that is a, a warranted correction. If I had put out fourteen of anything in my life, uh, I would I would uh, absolutely demand that people know that. Like that's, and and you know, fourteen independent releases. I mean, gotta love that. You are just embodying the break the business spirit. And one of the things that I know you've also had the pleasure of doing a lot in your career when you're not making albums is just getting to open for a lot of your own personal idols in music. I love talking to guests on this program about the really cool people that they've opened for, and somebody like you who's been touring and playing uh, live venues forever. You must have a really good story for when you got to open for somebody that you really admired. Did you ever have like a moment where you were just super starstruck? You know, it's it's funny. Um, 
yeah a couple times but I, I it takes a lot to get me starstruck because i've toured so much and i've met so many people but there have been that couple of times where like this half of me is like yeah man nice to meet you and that this half of me is like ah! <laughs> um but you, you got to keep it together but yeah you have to be all like cool calm collective yeah um so i don't know if you know or remember a band called triumph yeah okay so showing my age here when i was a kid triumph was was fairly new and um i fell deeply in love with the band all of their music and especially the guitar player rick Emmett. and um knew every word he wrote sang played every guitar lick learned to play guitar because of him basically so he leaves the band in the mid 80s fast forward now to 2001 2002 i hear through my agent that he's trying to come back to new york city for the first time in like 15 years and knows my agent somehow and they're putting on the show. And I beg to help, not to be on the show, just to help. And uh, and I, they wound up putting me on as the opener. So I'm like, awesome. I had met Rick once or twice in the past as a fan at shows, but now here I am opening for him. And they're like, hey, by the way, can you pick him up at the airport? And I was like, <laughs> <Whoa>. yeah. <laughs> so I pick him and his keyboard player up at the airport and we drive back and we go to the show. We're playing at the bottom line in New York City which at the time was like one of the premier listening rooms. And, um, and it sold out. And uh, so my dad comes, my dad was one of my biggest fans. He never missed the show that he, that was anywhere near. So he, my dad was there. So I'm sitting before the show in, in, in our dressing room and I sound check, Rick hit sound check. I'm sitting with my dad and we're like, this is kind of cool. How awesome is this? And knock, knock, knock. Yeah. Come on in. It's Rick Evan. So Rick walks in, sits down with me and my dad, like, there's my dad. There's Rick Evan. And I'm sitting there. We're just talking baseball. We all coach baseball. We're just just shooting the breeze. And I, I literally, this half of me is like, oh, yeah, yeah, baseball, baseball, coach, coach, coach. coach. And this half of me is like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then uh, where you think it can't get better, I do my show. And there's a knock on my door. Rick wants to see you. This is in between shows. I'm like, oh, oh God, what do I do? Wow. And I walk in. And he's like, man, thank you for all the work you did to help put on the show. Do you know the song Hold On from Just a Game? I'm like, yeah, I've been playing it since I'm like 10. He's like, cool. Do you want to come out and close my show with me? What? What? Okay. We, as soon as this is done, my career can end right here. I'm pretty good. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I've had a few moments like that where like I'm standing there playing a song that I've been listening to and knew every note of since I was 10 years old with the guy I've idolized since that long and looking across the stage like come on come that's, on that's so incredible and and yeah. though i have not met you before this interview john um i would imagine that um if i if i had to guess about like a, a time in your life when you sort of felt similarly inspired by the work that you got to do on on a stage i would think that you probably get a similar feeling for the many from the many times that you have performed at military bases as yeah. part of the navy mwr program I've I've spoken with a lot of artists who who do the the military shows. They it's obviously really rewarding for them. It's it's great consistent work. It's obviously you know it's a great crowd to to play before the you know the, the service members and their families. Uh, how'd you get involved in that work? And and do you have any advice for other musicians on how they can get into that circuit? Um, so I've been booked since two thousand five by Deggy Entertainment, and they're. They've been the largest college booking agency in the country for a very long time. He's also one of the biggest middling agents. And for those who don't know what that is, like you own a mid-sized club and you want a really big act and you can't get to that act. You call an agent like mine and he can make that connection and 
get that act in your club. So um, through my agent, he also is one of the top suppliers to the military of their entertainment worldwide. And their their booker came out to see me play, and uh, and they just started booking me all around the world to play for the troops. Wow. So, like, what countries yeah. have you been to? Um, let's see. On the one trip, I went uh, to Amsterdam, Greece, Italy, Sicily. I've been to Guantanamo Bay five times. I played probably 25 bases stateside. Um, I played Camp Lejeune for the Marines on the beach at Camp Lejeune for a big beach cookout. Um, played um, Newport Naval Station when the Eisenhower came back. The, the I believe it was the Eisenhower. It was a big aircraft carrier. Came yeah. back from the Middle East. Uh, we played, my band played the welcome back party for 5,000 guys and girls getting off that boat. Um, wow. It's been some amazing shows. Got to play 4th of July weekend, like one uh, July 3rd at Camp Stewart in Georgia, July 4th at Fort Knox. You know, and yes. it's like days, things like that. You're standing in Fort Knox on July 4th playing for the troops. You're like, okay. Oh, cool. man. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you uh, probably can't tell us anything classified, but have there been any interesting situations playing for, I mean, the military? I'm sure security is always a big thing. Anything that you've yeah. sort of gotten into that's been crazy or risky? No, no. You're chaperoned everywhere on those things. So um, nice. you're, you're, you know, where, where you stay, they have like, you know, either hotels on base or performer barracks kind of things. And you are dropped off, you are picked up, you are shuttled, you are dropped off, you are picked up, you are shuttled, you have handlers that are with you all day, every day. Um, everything you do has to be approved. Now, you know, like in Guantanamo Bay, I got to go scuba diving with the CO of the base. And But even though it's the CO of the base and like the second in command and they're like, come scuba dive with us, I had to go to my handler and be like, is this okay for me to do? Am I allowed <laughs> to do this? Oh, yeah. And they gave me, the, they said, yeah, you're fine. You have nothing planned in your schedule, but you have... You are under, but yeah, it's, uh, it's all very regimented. It sounds like, yeah, yeah, yeah. which makes perfect sense. But um, it's awesome. It's amazing. That oh God, it, it must be. I mean, and that that experience that you're talking about just it definitely tracks with a lot of the other musicians I've talked to and other performers who've gotten to do this kind of work, and uh, it must be super rewarding for you. Um, it is. Speaking the of very things, few gigs I've ever done are, are as fulfilling. Wow. As you know, being in Italy and playing for a bunch of guys and girls on the base pub. You know, in the afternoon, I had played on the big stage opening for a big name, which was an amazing show. But that night, I'm in the pub, the place they just go to blow off steam. And a bunch of them came up to me afterwards and like, man, you made us forget where we were. We felt like we were home on a Friday night. Wow. Like, yeah, that you you don't get better than that. That's huge. Well, so. your your background is, is, is no shortage of, has no shortage of inspirational stuff in it. I mean, even most recently, so you released your new single, talking to myself out loud and you put this out after not releasing music for several years due to vocal cord damage. And, yes. you know, are, are you willing to talk to us a little bit about that experience and how you're able sure. to overcome that? Cause from what I understood, the doctors were telling you that you'd never sing again, right? They said that would be a smart option. Yeah. Wow. Um, thankfully I'm a Sicilian from Hoboken and I'm not necessarily <laughs> smart. Um, <laughs> I don't make smart choices. <laughs> um, Look, I've always been the guy who my whole career, I dive off the diving board. I'll check for the water before I get there kind of thing. That's always been how Build I Build the plane as you fly it. Yeah. Exactly. That's a great way to put it. Um, so 2015, um, I was down in Key West. I'd, I had lived and played in Key West for the better part of six years. And there was a Sunday night where I sang probably 
one of the best vocal shows of my life. Like six hours of Journey, Foreigner, Boston, Sticks, like high. Like, like that was my voice. Nothing but easy stuff. <laughs> right. But but that was my wheelhouse. I was a Steve Perry singer, like to a T. Like oh, yeah. Steve Perry, Lou Graham were effortless for me all night long. And I woke up Monday and I couldn't make a sound. I had not like a not like a horse throat. I had paralysis in my voice. Oh my god. And Wednesday it was back. Great. Thursday I had a show. Friday paralysis again. I was like, uh oh. That never happened. So I went to the doctor and they said, Oh, you, guess what? You have acid reflux. And you've had it for probably six to eight months and it has cooked your vocal cord. Your right vocal cord is damaged. So the, the stomach acid okay. just got up in your vocal cords and Yeah, oh, I was going to sleep man. every night and it was just coming up. Now now to be fair. Um, the shows in Key West involved um, a modicum of alcohol, if you will. In Key West, what? Key West, Come on. So, you know there may have I mean, been some. It's basically some, Provo. Some, was my Come responsibility. <laughs> and uh, um, so I did what I could to finish out my time in Key West. Um, and when I came back to uh, where I lived, which is just south of Boston, I went to. Uh, Mass Ioneer and then ultimately Mass General. And I saw the same doctors that fixed Adele when she, her voice was broken. They fixed John Mayer. They fixed Steven Tyler, a slew of others. They're like the team that people go to. And um, uh, I will never forget it because the doctor came in. They had scoped me. The doctor came in, looked at it on the screen, said, I'll be right back. And left about five minutes later, came back with eight people. And I was like, oh, this cannot be good. Um, and they said, so sing for us. And I tried. I couldn't. There's a range. There's a piece of my range that's just gone. Oh, gosh. And they said, okay, so you have the only thing that's not fixable in the world. No. You could have torn your vocal cord, blown a blood vessel, polyps, nodules, anything, except you have what's called a sulcus. The acid reflux burned a piece of the vibrational layer away from my cord. It's gone. It's not there anymore. There's nothing to repair. It just doesn't exist. So... They were like, there's nothing we can do. And he said, he goes, do you have any of your music with you? And I was like, yeah, my phone. He's like, play me something from a few years back. And I did. And he goes, that is a great song. You will never sing it again. <sighs> Gut punch. I was like, oh, my God, did you just say that to me? And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Here's your options. Stop singing. Or you're going to have to figure out an entirely new way to do things. Because what you've always known is gone. There's just nothing we can do to fix it. Now I can sing low and I can sing super high. I, I have like a prior to that. I had about a five and a half octave range on my voice. Um, I could do the Johnny Cash and I could do the Mariah Carey high notes, like those squiggly squeaky notes. Whistle tones. <laughs> yes. But I could do them like dead on, like with full control. I can still actually do those and I can still do the Johnny Cash. I lost the third eye blind. I lost the matchbox 20. Mm -hmm. That's where my stuff lived in that mid low tenor pop rock world yeah uh the edwin mccain's the bon jovi's that was the world that my voice lived in and that's just doesn't function anymore in my voice i can make it work but i've got a, a very limited window because i have to push so hard to make it work that i have a very short window of functionality um i have nights where it works really well i have nights where i can't get out of my own way for two notes so it's not fun it's like having a guitar that won't stay in tune but you never know when it's going to go out of tune kind of thing i mean so so this isn't something that's been cured you're just you're just managing it you're working with it yeah. is there anything yeah. that you do to try to to mitigate it is there are there you know is there other foods that you can stay away from i mean 
how do you sort well, of I was on, you know, They put me on meds. Okay. They put me on, you know, renetidine and Meprazole for like six, five, six years. I just came off them <clears throat> to uh, control the acid reflux. And we have retrained my esophageal valve, which is what went bad on me. And that's working fine again, so I don't have any more acid reflux. Um, Cover-wise, cover shows, because I do a lot of cover shows as well as originals, there's a million songs. So I stopped singing Journey. I started singing The Clash. We figured that out. That was no big deal. But as a writer, I lost my identity because I could always pick up a guitar and know what my voice was going to do and oh. write a song for it. And my instrument was compromised. So I'd pick up a guitar and I would go to write and I couldn't sing anything that my brain would think of. And for five years, that was my life. I wrote and threw away a hundred songs because I couldn't get through them. And I would come down here on a Monday and I would write a song and on Tuesday I couldn't sing it. So I'm like, bye. Um, I mean, you never... So then about a year ago, I wrote a song yeah. and I really believed in it, um, but I couldn't finish it. Uh, I wrote, it was like an upbeat mid-tempo rock song and I wrote lyrics for it three times and I couldn't, it just didn't work. So it festered and it festered and I went to a buddy of mine who's a producer and, a, and an amazing artist. His name is Monk Dwayne um, and I'm talking an amazing artist in his own right, like award-winning as an as a singer songwriter he's won boston music awards multiple times he's a composer for film and tv he's a brilliant producer and we've been in bands together we've done so much together and i just went to him and said look i need your help i need to get away from my studio i need to get away from everything i do because everything i do is leading me back to the same place that i can't go anymore and i need to do something different so we had long conversations for a couple of months and then I sent him some songs and he was like, send me what you want. And then when I got to his studio on the first night, I brought him the song and he's like, this is nothing like what you've been sending me, which, which I'm like, you know, that's a great point, but he listened to it and he went, let's try to take it there. And he changed the feel of what the song was. And then all of a sudden pieces from each of the three sets of lyrics that I had written made sense. It was like that verse and that B section and that chorus and that line with this line. I had written everything I wanted to say, but they were kind of in a puzzle. And as soon as he changed the feel of the song, the words just lit up and it was literally done in 20 minutes. We finished it in 20 minutes. Wow. Um, and it took three days and we had it completely finished and recorded. And, um, and it's the whole conversation that I had for five years, yelling at myself every day in the mirror about why I couldn't do what I wanted to do anymore. And, and it's a it's an incredible song. I was listening to it uh, yesterday and this morning. Thank you. And we're gonna we're gonna, you know, put a link to it in the show description so people can check the, the track out. It's it's amazing and it, it's given me a new perspective on it because I've 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 spoken with plenty of singers as I'm sure you have JC since you know you're you're a professional singer so you know, this is this is your world and I, I've spoken with plenty of singers who talk about how having some sort of vocal cord problem affects what they do as a singer. But now after speaking with you, John, it didn't even occur to me that it can affect you as a songwriter because the stuff that was in your register, the, the, the songs that came naturally to you, the notes that came naturally to you are gone and you had to kind of reconfigure your whole approach. And I, I really admire your courage and your perseverance in figuring out how to do that with the help of others to continue creating great music, like talking to myself out loud, which is really awesome. Listeners and viewers, you can find out more about our guests' work and just 
keep checking out his story. He does a lot of great stuff, by the way, with uh, yeah, TV shows that he hosts. There's a lot to like about John Tagliere. You can check him out at johntagliere.com. John, before we let you go, and this has been an absolute treat, and so anytime you want to come back on again, we want to hear a thousand more stories. But before we let you go for this show, one last question. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Don't expect somebody else to do the work you should be doing. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, I've mentored artists. I've hung with indie artists, and I wish I had a manager. Why? What are you doing that they're going to do for you that you can't do by yourself. I wish I had an agent. Get on the phone, book the shows. Until you're at a level where you need somebody else taking your money, don't give anybody your money. Do it yourself. Learn the business. I feel horrible for these kids who go on Idol and all that stuff because they they didn't do eight gigs in their life and now they're doing eight shows a week. And they don't understand the business and they don't understand the touring and they don't understand the rigors of life on the road and they're thrown into the, the fire. So the advice I always try to give them is learn to do everything in this business so that if you have to hand it away to somebody, you understand what you're asking of them. But but learn, do your own work, be be your own artist um, first because you can't understand how to handle your career if you don't know how to run your career. Great insight. John, thank you so much for being on this week. This has been a real pleasure. My pleasure. My honor. Thank you. All right. Um, that was uh, absolutely tremendous. He's what a cool guest. John Tagliere. So many great stories. He's going to be one of those guys that I want to have on again and again because when you've been in the game for as long as he has, putting out 14, not 12 albums, uh, you just know he's got a thousand stories uh, in the chamber that we didn't even get to because there's only so much time. And I just, I just want to like do story time with him because I mean the the stuff that he's done, my goodness, and just an incredible story of perseverance and you know o- overcoming something that you think would be you know career ending, both as a performer and as a songwriter, and he overcame it. I mean that's that's the kind of spirit we like to encourage around here. Yeah, and and in the end, it's all about self starting, which I think is at the heart of this podcast and what you preach all the time ryan so it's get out there learn everything you can uh i thought was the biggest message that he shared with us today learn everything so that when you are put in a position to hand the keys off to someone else to drive your car you know what's going on because that is the fastest way to get taken in this business i like what john said yeah i really appreciate what john said at the end about music managers and he's absolutely right that the perspective of a lot of of a lot of early career artists is they think that like the manager is all they need and they just got to find a manager and the manager is going to fill in all the blanks and what I I try to explain to artists is you know you know your managers the, the way I like to say to them is your manager's job is to manage your career it's not to manage you you need to create the career that they manage you know you you need to give them something like the only time like you're your own best manager until you get to a point where your operation is so big and so complicated and has so many moving parts that you can't possibly pull all the levers on your own and you need somebody else to do these things that can take you to the next level but you know if you think that like sort of you need a manager at level 1 that's how you get taken advantage of and you know I'm so glad that John was echoing that sentiment he's absolutely right JC with the time we have yep. left I, I mm-hmm. do want to get to this last story because it 
it's both hilarious and it it harkens back to something we talked about a, a few episodes ago, which is NFTs. And really, it combines like my favorite thing of the moment, which is NFTs, with one of my favorite things ever, which is memes. Can you tell us what's going on, JC, with Disaster Girl? Oh, sure. So this week we saw that uh, the the girl pictured in the Disaster Girl meme, I, I'm sure to describe it, you, you may not know what that is, but I'm sure you've seen it before. Well, actually, Lauren, can you help the... us out? Can you pull up? Like, can you, yeah, can you yeah. get it? Yeah. Just so we're all like, I, I, I know what she looks like in my head, but you know, this is a visual medium. Let's see if we can, let's see if we can bring Disaster exactly. Girl up. Exactly. If we can pull this, but let's use the technology. That's so I'll, right. I'll, I'll get to the point. Uh, with NFTs, you know, people are selling essentially the receipts, right? They're selling these files that have a digital stamp. They're added to the blockchain. So when you are sold an NFT, it is yours. Maybe the uh, creator keeps a, a bit of the, the pot. I don't know. NFTs are still sort of a big question mark for a lot of people. Uh, but this particular meme... The picture behind the meme sold for $500,000. Which might actually pay for the house that got burned down in that picture. So it it all (laughs) comes full circle. Oddly enough. It wasn't her house. The the girl did not burn down her own house. There we go. There we go. That is the meme. That is a $500,000 NFT I'm not sure how much this podcast now has to pay for posting it on here, uh, but it is a very expensive piece of memery. Now, this is not the only meme that has actually been sold as an NFT. Did you happen to know that there are others that that have actually... I mean, there's been been some crazy things that have been sold as NFTs recently, including... uh, uh, it was Azalea Banks's sex tape. Like, there's all kinds of crazy. But like, I didn't know that there were other NFT Absolutely. memes. You have the uh, Bad Luck Brian meme from years ago. Sold I forgot for about him. Thirty-six thousand. Yeah, right. The, these are. It's weird. It's classic pieces of nostalgia at this point, right? Uh, the Nyan Cat, the creator of Nyan Cat, sold that NFT. Uh, which, if you don't remember, it's a cat with a Pop-Tart for a body. Very classic internet, sold for $600,000. Wow. So Worth every these penny. These are really, really important pieces of art, question mark? I mean, History, really? question mark? What do you think? Well, what it tells me is that it's a... It's a marketplace that's that's finding what it is, or whether it's even something at all. And But it's definitely something that's being talked about, because I'm having clients approaching me regularly now, wanting to learn more <laughs> about this, saying, should we be putting our album out as an NFT? You know, Do we do like a kind of like what Kings of Leon did recently, where we're going to put out our regular album, but we're also going to create like a limited edition NFT version of the album with some extra artwork and, and music in it. And we'll it'll only have like a limited edition and those can be bought and sold later and we'll charge extra for them. And so artists want to learn more about this. The marketplace wants to learn more about this in terms of whether this is a tangible thing. And some, and, and so when we see like Bad Luck Brian and Disaster Girls memes go, and, and sex tapes going for considerable sums of money, like this is sort of like the smoke, right? And, when, and we still need to see what's going to happen with this when the smoke clears. But 
to me, it sounds like a pretty interesting way. I'm still kind of bullish on NFTs as being a way to create something non-fungible in a entertainment industry where everything is fungible now, right? Everything is digital now, which means there are infinite copies and it's hard to be able to have something that's yours that's unique and thus can appreciate and value um, for years to come and potentially even give the person that created a work the chance to get in on the appreciation of that artwork as you can because it's all in the blockchain. And so I, I'm excited to see more about it and see where it develops. I mean, I pose this question to you. Are masters the original NFT? <laughs> it's like the, uh, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, like even like original vinyls and, you know, like, yeah. you know, yeah, like non-fungible tokens, like every, like everything was non-fungible back in a time when things were tangible, right? You could make something right. non-fungible by, yeah, I got this original you know, Pink Floyd, the wall and, and, uh, you know, the band signed it or something that you now have a non, a physical non-fungible token. But when everything went digital, when everything went streaming, <laughs> when it's all ones and zeros, we lose that. But now NFTs could be bringing it back maybe, or this could all just be a bunch of nonsense, which about half of the internet thinks could still be the case. Who knows? But you know, who knows? I'm, I'm it's environmentally unsound. It, it's crazy. It's yeah. hurting the environment. Who, everything is. Wild. Oh yeah, there's that too. We're probably destroying the world. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah. like you know, memes. memes. JC, thank you so much for hanging out this week. I always love having you on. We get into the best conversations. It's been an absolute treat. Right back at you. Uh, and uh, our, our thanks as well to John Tagliari for joining us. Check him out at johntagliari.com. He's got so much great stuff to share. Great music. Uh, great programs that he hosts. It, it's it's a uh, it's a real treasure trove, that website. You definitely want to check them out. And my thanks to all of you for joining us this week on Break the Business. Thanks for your support. Be sure to throw us a follow on Twitch or wherever you're checking us out so we can continue to build this awesome community. And, and thanks for everything. We will see you next week. Mm-hmm.